Let us pray. Almighty and most gracious Father, reveal your Son Jesus to us this day. Manifest Him to our ears and to our eyes, to our hearts and to our souls. May we know Him more deeply. May we be renewed by Him more profoundly. May we reflect His image before the world that through us You would work that through us You would make Him known. This we ask through that very same Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. It would be nice and fairly nearly true to say from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. Therefore, many days he could be very tiresome. But most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun. That's from the end of the chapter of Voyage of the Dawn Treader, when Eustace had been a dragon. You see, Eustace was a very ill-tempered boy. He complained and he groused about everything. If there was something that could be said was wrong, he would declare it to be wrong. And he found himself whisked away into Narnia with his cousins and he hated it. He couldn't grasp what was going on. He couldn't understand this world that he was encountering because he had no imagination. And in that, he made trouble for everyone. He was so troublesome because he was purely focused on himself. So focused, he was unable to be changed in perspective. And of course, for those of us who know the story, that all came to a head for him. When all that inward ugliness was finally manifested outwardly, when he was turned into a dragon, he became the most dreaded of beasts, a beast who is only concerned with himself, with his own well-being. But one thing I noticed as I was listening to this story yesterday was that immediately Eustace had regret. Though he didn't understand what a dragon really was, because he lacked imagination and had read all the wrong books, He certainly knew it was not good that he turned into one. In fact, you could say that he became outwardly what he was inwardly, and that shock of reality shook him to his core. He was truly in pain and regret from the moment he realized that he was a dragon. As I said, his inward behavior had finally manifested itself as a great curse upon his person. Lewis here gives us a humorous picture of the dreadful outcome of sin in us. He was so focused, Eustace was, on himself throughout the story that he became the very thing that was hated in Narnia. That selfish dragon that hoards everything to himself. And he's only comfortable on his mounds of gold and ill-gotten goods. Again, that which was inside became that which was on the outside. 
But as I said, Eustace was immediately struck with regret. He began to see just what kind of person he truly was and had been by this transformation. But notice it was regret, not yet repentance. Something was revealed to him when he saw the truth of who he was. His eyes were opened. And I think it was the one thing that he didn't want to be, but now he was stuck as that dragon. He became the very thing he was inside. And as soon as he saw what it was, he knew it was bad. And again in the story, he actually begins to act helpfully. He acts better as a dragon than he did as a boy. He was making the best of the curse that he had received. He goes out and catches goats for the crew of the Dawn Treader. He helps them in various ways. He lets them sleep upon him on the wet, rainy nights. He begins to learn patience. He even sits and listens to the wisdom of Reepicheep, the one creature he could not stand before this transformation. He began to do what he could to be useful. But that never could change the reality of what he had become. It couldn't change that he was now a dragon. And that ultimately that dragonness was going to become a burden for the crew when they might leave the island. But yet finally on a fateful night, Aslan came to him. He came to Eustace and took him up a hill to a well. And when Eustace saw that well, he realized that he could get into it and he could bathe himself and maybe find relief. Yet Aslan told him to undress. And try as he might, he couldn't get rid of that dragonness. He ripped and he scraped and he tore and he could get one layer off. But then he would look down and discover that his hands were still the same dragony hands. He was struck by his own power. He was stuck by his own power. Regardless of what he had learned, regardless of the regret within, he was just simply stuck as a dragon. He couldn't undo what he had become by his own power. And then we see a beautiful baptismal picture as Aslan acts. He steps forward and says, let me undress you. And he cuts Eustace beyond all cutting. So deep that Eustace thought he had slashed him to his very heart. But that cutting was what was needed to remove that which could not be removed. Eustace could not remove, but Aslan's cut could. And so Aslan cut and scraped at Eustace, and it was painful to have that done, and yet there was pleasure for Eustace. For it meant that the dragonness was being stripped away. It was being removed by another in a way that Eustace couldn't accomplish by his own strength. And yet, Eustace still was not cured. I think Lewis is being very careful here as he gives us this story in this picture. Eustace isn't completely fixed until Aslan throws him into the well. Yes, Aslan stripped away what seemed to be all of the dragoness, but there was still healing that needed to occur, and that healing came in the water as Eustace is thrown into it, which causes him pain beyond imagining but immediately brings relief in a new way. For as Eustace swims around, he suddenly realizes that his pain is gone. The pain that was in his left arm from the armband that he had picked up and put on. 
As he looks, he realizes he has become a boy. He is a boy again. What wonders! But it was only through that final placing of him in the water that he can discover that Aslan has brought him back to being a boy. That the curse has been undone. The curse has been stripped away and he has been brought to a place of healing. And it's beautifully baptismal in what Lewis shows us. That Christ strips us down, but then He washes us. And through that washing, we can come to see that we are whole again. We can see that wholeness has been accomplished by that work of Christ. But then there are the words that I quoted there at the very beginning. It wasn't all roses and sunshine for Eustace or for anyone else. He was still a bit ill-tempered. He was still annoying and frustrated and had his moments of self-centeredness. But yet the overall change was amazing. So much so that it was so infrequent to the point of not making a big deal about it in the story anymore. As Lewis says, the cure had begun. Eustace had now been set right and was moving in the right direction through that work of Aslan in the water. He had been renewed. But still that renewal was in the midst of the same frail and broken boy that is Eustace. So that same old wrong-headedness would come through at times. But what mattered was that there was a recognition that such a one could always say Eustace was a different boy and was being cured of his pig-headedness because of what Aslan had done. And so what does this story have to do with what we hear today? Everything in our passages are about how God brings change to us through Jesus. It's about how Jesus is truly the center of everything. And that we get united to that center. We aren't made the center, but we are united to that center who is Jesus And in that union, we are made different because the power of God works through us in Jesus. The power of God comes through Jesus for us. I think we especially hear of that in 1 Corinthians 6. For right there, we have that verse beginning at verse 9. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. Paul lists all kinds of various types of sin. And each of these sins are all centered on the individual being the center. It is about the individual seeking his own pleasure above the good of others. And that kind of person cannot inherit the kingdom of God. That kind of person will not see the kingdom of God. For they become identified with their unrighteousness much as Eustace became identified with being that dragon. When we identify with our sin, we cut ourselves off from who God is and from the work of Christ and from being in that kingdom. But then come those beautiful words in verse 11 of how God works. For then St. Paul says, And such were... Some of you, 
Some of you were these very things that cannot inherit the kingdom of God. You were the ones who identified with these very behaviors, these very actions, these very thoughts and lusts and conceits. Such were some of you. Were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord and by the Spirit of our God. See, Paul is making a point here in his letter to the people of Corinth, to the church at Corinth. This church that has all kinds of crazy stuff happening in it. It has lawsuits against believers. It has a stepson who has married his father's second wife. It has people arguing and biting back and forth at each other. It has dissensions amongst the ranks as people try to vie for who is better than the other. And I'm so grateful that we have this letter in the New Testament for it tells us that there was never a golden age of the church. There was never an age where the church didn't have conflict, where the church didn't have horrible sinners acting in sinful, terrible ways in the midst of the congregation. The church has always struggled with sin and there must always be someone who points everyone back to Christ who says, such were some of you. You are acting wrongheadedly. You are acting sinfully. And that should not be for you have been washed. You have been sanctified and set apart from this behavior. You have been set apart from the worldliness. You have been set apart from what you once were in yourself. And you have been justified in the name of Jesus. Just as Eustace had to have Aslan step in and strip away the dragoness and wash him to separate him from that dragoness and to bring him into a new relationship to himself, likewise we must be separated from our sins. We must call that which is sin, sin in ourselves first and foremost, recognizing our own sinfulness so that we can then find that Christ is separating it from us. So that we can find that Christ cuts us down to our very core and strips away that brokenness. Begins stripping away that sinfulness and that sinful behavior, that sinful desire within. As He washes us that we might be sanctified and justified. That we might know the name of Jesus more deeply. And that separation from what we once were into what we are to become, we hear about with First Samuel, there in Samuel being called to become that prophet to replace Eli, to become that last and great judge of Israel. He is there in the temple and he keeps hearing someone call out to him, but he doesn't know it's the Lord yet. The word of God had not yet come to him as a young boy, and so he keeps going to Eli. But Eli points him back to the temple, and finally, Eli's dim eyes are open just enough to see and understand that here in that moment, Samuel's being called by Yahweh. That is who Samuel is finally hearing. And so he says, when you hear the voice call, simply say, Speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Speak, Yahweh, for I know it is you. And he is given a message that is not positive at all. He's given a message that says that Eli and his family are going to be punished for their sinfulness. For Eli did not restrain his children that he made judges. He did not call them out for their sinfulness. He let them be wicked. He let them break the covenant. He let them abuse the people. And so Eli's family will be punished and disciplined for they are going to bring ruin, almost complete ruin, here on the tabernacle and on the ark. 
Here Eli is able to bear that and to recognize his sinfulness. He recognizes his brokenness. He sees that Samuel is going to be raised up to be the new prophet. Samuel is going to be raised up to be the next judge. God is going to strip away the sinfulness of Israel through that prophet, through that man who will be a rightful judge of Israel where Eli has failed. And Eli receives that and I think finds some point of repentance over his bad behavior, over his indifference to the law of God. Then we see it again in John. As we hear Philip being called, as we hear of Nathaniel being called through Philip and him encountering Christ for the first time. There is a washing, there is a sanctification, there is a justification going on in that interaction with Jesus. As Jesus sees Nathaniel come, he says, Behold indeed an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And I love that because of where Jesus goes right after that. Jesus goes to make reference to Jacob's ladder. To that ladder that Jacob saw there in the desert of angels ascending and descending from the throne of God. And do you know what Jacob's name means? It basically means cheater, swindler, deceiver. And here is Jesus making reference to Jacob right before he brings up the ladder. He says, here's an Israelite that has no deceit like Jacob. But you know what, Nathaniel? You may believe in who I am, but you're going to see amazing things. You're going to see great things. In fact, you're going to see the angels ascending and ascending and descending from the throne of God, not on a ladder, but on the Son of Man, on the Chosen One of God, on the Messiah, the King of Israel. You will see heaven opened up and God's messengers traveling up and down on the true Son of God, on Myself, the One who connects heaven and earth, who is the true Bethel. For that's what Jacob went on to name that place. He named it the house of God. For there at the house of God, the angels are coming and going to the throne. So where else would the house of God be but where the throne of God is? And the angels come and go from the house of God. And here Jesus says that He is that true house of God. That He is the ladder upon which the angels ascend and descend. That He is the place of God's throne, the place of God's glory, the place of God's eternal being is here in this man, Jesus Christ, walking upon the earth. That is what Jesus is claiming in that moment. To be the center, to be the house, to be the throne, to be the one true God upon this earth. And the beauty of all of that is, is that when we become united to Him, we become little houses. In our washing, in our sanctification, in our justification, St. Paul goes on to say that don't you know that your body is a temple of God? That's why he speaks of sexual immorality in such a way that we should flee from it. For that immorality is the type that makes us one flesh with another. But we have been united to Christ And if we are united to Christ, then His Spirit dwells in us. And if His Spirit dwells in us, then we have become little houses of God. We have become little temples of God, little outposts of the Holy Spirit and Jesus working in this world. And so how can you join yourself to sin? How can you turn and identify with sinful actions and sinful behaviors and sinful desires? 
You have been cut off from those things by being washed and sanctified and justified. You are called away from those things. You are called into renewal over and over. For the cure has begun. St. Paul doesn't say that he is shocked that they are doing bad things, but he constantly reminds them of what they are supposed to be in Christ and calls them from those bad things. He calls them to turn back from them, to repent of them once more, to turn away because the cure has begun. You're not instantaneously purified and purged of all sinful desire, of all sinful behavior in that moment that you are washed and sanctified and justified. But nonetheless, you have been separated from those things. You have been called away from those things. You have been called into a new life. A new life in which you are made a temple. Your physical body becomes a physical temple of the Holy Spirit who spiritually dwells within. Because we have been bought by Christ. We have been paid for by Christ. We have been redeemed by Christ. We have been made one with Christ. And so the cure has begun for each and every one of us now. As we hear of Jesus, as we hear of Him washing and sanctifying and justifying us, we are hearing of Him turning us away from our old sinful identities. He is turning us away from how we would identify with who we are in ourselves and calls us to identify with Himself. For He has joined us to Him and we have been joined to Him. We are now members of Christ. We become those little places that are the house of God now. For Christ is the one true house that we are connected to. By our being connected, we become outposts. We become houses that the Spirit dwells within. And that Spirit dwelling within applies that cure of Jesus. He applies that cure of stripping away that dragonness. And calling us away from that behavior. Calling us away from those desires. Calling us away from those thoughts. Calling us away from what we once were. And so look to Jesus this day. Hear of the reality that He is the true God walking upon the earth before the disciples so long ago. Hear of the true reality that He is God in the flesh. And that He is the center, the house of God, where the angels come and go in order to get to the throne of God. He is the center. And we get united to that center. And we get washed of our old sins. We get washed of our deceitfulness. We get washed of that immorality, of the idolatry, of the adulteries. We get washed of the thievery and the greediness, of the wrongful desires. All of that gets washed away in Jesus. And He begins healing by setting us apart from those things. And He applies His justification to us in the midst of all that work, making us righteous little by little in ourselves by uniting Himself to us. By putting His righteousness upon us, it comes to be within us through His indwelling that we become one and the same with Jesus as He works in us. Sharing in that which is His as He has stripped away that which was once ours and put it to death through His death. That not only does He strip it away, but He kills it by dying for us. He cuts its power off from us and calls us away from its power. He takes away its chains upon us that we would be free, that we could walk in holiness, that we can walk in sanctification 
That we can walk in that washing day in and day out. And He calls us from that sinful identification with ourselves. That we would identify with the one that we have been made a member of. And so look to Christ. Receive Christ anew each day. Receive Him in the reality of what He has done for you. That He has taken that which would cut you off from Him. He has taken your dragonness and cut it off of you. And He has washed you that you would be separated from it forever and ever. So receive that separation. Receive that washing. Receive this Jesus today who has caused this cure to begin to work in each and every one of you who are walking toward Him now. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.